Hey, Chris. What? You want to get married? Not right. Well, I am married. Okay. What are you supposed to say? Let's pop a top on this. There you go. We got there. <laughs> I thought you were doing a thing. Sorry. <laughs> we worked our way around to it. Right on. Cue the music. There's a war going down. Put your shield and your armor on. There's a war going down. Put your shield and your armor on. Pick up your sword, gather your strength from the only one. Pick up your sword, gather your strength from the holy one. What's up, guys and gals? I'm Carl. And I'm Chris. And you're listening to another episode of Digging Deeper, a Bible study series brought to you by Broken Record Ministries. Dun, dun, dun. Was that better? Yeah. I did it right that time? Yeah. Do we need to just have Ronnie on? We'll just have Ronnie come in just to say that. Right on. And then he can leave. Yeah. Just do a sound bite. Yeah, just a sound brought bite. To you, you can do brought to you by, and then insert sound bite. Yeah, that'll work. You want to set the level for us? Sure. What do you call a cow? Doesn't produce milk. An I, utter failure. <laughs> yeah. We can only go up from there. We can only go up from there. I love it. It's great. It's well, I am stuff. super excited to have a friend of mine, Sonny, on this week. Thanks Good for joining afternoon, us. Good afternoon, Yeah. This will be fun. I think you're going to be a regular, right? Uh, I hope so. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Right on. Excited. So it's been a while since we had a guest. We'll call awesome. it a guest this week. All right. A regular next week. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Well, this, this is your tryout. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say, this is, a, this is a, a trial run. Yeah. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So this week we're going to look into Matthew chapter 22, mm-hmm. parable of the wedding guests. But before we drop the needle on that, what's new in Christopia? Mm, I was hoping you'd forget. <laughs> I didn't forget. This is your segment. Kidding me? I don't know. Um, not a whole lot. Nose is feeling a little better. And as I told you, you know, from getting bunked on the shots. So, but now I got allergies. So if I'm, if I, if I sound a little nasally, that's why. So I'll try to edit it out. Right on. Right on. Um, you, you sound pretty nasally. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I'm like, oh. I took some stuff to like, like decongest and it's not like, like, I don't want you guys to freak out because it's like, oh, I'm going to get a cold now. It's it's all sinus pressure. Mm-hmm. So it's allergies from the hot, cold, hot, cold. But And the fact that it's, what, 40 degrees on, I got shorts on. <laughs> so. It's an interesting choice. I know. Shorts, hoodie, boots. Sh- yeah, right on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. Couldn't find my jeans today, so here I am. Um, but no, uh, I mean, something came up this week. It's kind of interesting. It's an interesting conversation. Um, I think it's, it's, a, uh, something that we as Christians get thrown a lot in our face and it's, um, I don't know how to word it other than when any, I don't know. And it's not even non-believers that do it. It's just people in general when, something gets thrown at you based upon a, a Christian moral case in point um, a, a very one that a very good one that sticks in my crawl is we're all expected to be like poor beggars. Like there mm-hmm. can't be a rich Christian in the world because well, where's your charitable nature? 
where's your, you know, it, it's, where's your not acquiring wealth, but giving it back to the poor and being charitable. And, and while I'm, I'm not saying that not being charitable or not being charitable is a Christian moral, I don't think it's to the point where we should be bankrupt. Right. Right. Like we're supposed to be stewards of what God gives us. And part of that is saving for what's needed or, you know, taking care of your family with what's provided. So that's just one, just one example, but it's any time where, you know, it's, well, that's not very Christian of you. It gets kind of gets thrown in your face and you're like, what do I do with that? Like you don't want to respond with anger, right? No. Cause then you're just kind of proving the point, but then it's, it's one of those stingers that I think we as Christians have to deal with. Mm-hmm. No, people forget the disciples had boats, not a boat, boats right. to fish. They were, they were essentially business. Like our, our perspective, they were business owners. Mm-hmm. You know, they weren't, they weren't destitute, you know, and there's no evidence that they made themselves destitute after they started following Jesus. You know, right. I'm, I'm sure they were charitable. Don't be wrong, but mm-hmm. they weren't, they weren't bad stewards with what they had either. Right. There's a difference. Right. I mean, and, and God called, you know, commanders of armies to serve him. You know, I mean, armies essentially kill people. Well, that's not very Christian. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's no, I mean, going out and just murdering somebody is not Christian, but I mean, people die in wars. I mean, it happens. Mm-hmm. So it's just things like that, that I don't know, just kind of the conversation came up this week. And so I thought I'd bring it to you guys and see what you guys had to say on it. Well, I know just in my experience here lately, um, like I was telling you earlier, God provided me with a promotion at work just because I was worried about money. I was worried about my situation and, uh, you know, I, it just kind of fell into my lap, just like this podcast and being able to hang out with you guys and, and, uh, you know, grow more. Um, and, uh, you know, God always provided for me no matter what. And, um, even in times where I didn't follow him or times in, you know, the deserts or, you know, whatever the case may be of where I've been and what I've went through, um, God always provided. I was always taken care of. I was always looked after. Um, and, um, you know, the, the, I guess, you know, well, you're a Christian, you should do this. You're a Christian, you should do that. I think more or less of as long as your mindset is on God, you're going to do the right thing. I mean, it doesn't matter. He's going to provide for you. How much he provides, that's on him. That's mm-hmm. not on us. And we we as Christians, we just we keep going. We keep providing for there's times where he's going to say, Hey, give this here. And that might be a substantial amount of money or maybe an item that you have that somebody else doesn't have. I mean, it could be, you know, just a couple of words of encouragement. I mean, it doesn't, there's certain situations. It doesn't have to be a money thing or a material thing. It could just be time. You know, your time given to somebody because that's what they need. Um, 
And as a Christian, I think that's more or less what we should do instead of, you know, worry about the people that say, well, you're a Christian, you should be this way or that way. Or who are you to say, you know, absolutely. I don't, I don't think that anybody really has a say on what a Christian should do because God can use anybody in so many different ways that it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks really. <laughs> right. You know? Absolutely. First off, you just passed your tryout. That <laughs> was very good. You're yeah. a regular now. Second, I think we have a tendency of taking moral ethics exterior to the biblical text and applying it to the text. And I think that's kind of what you're describing there, where you're not a good Christian because of X, Y, Z. And, you know, there's no bearing in the, in, in the Bible. You know what I mean? For those, right. for those moral ethics that they're applying to you. Like mm-hmm. you and I, Sonny, were talking about Job outside. You know, what did God do with Job after the test was over? He gave him more, more wealth than he had at the beginning. It came directly from God. And there was no expectation that he, he throw it all to the poor. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm sure he lived a charitable lifestyle. Don't get me wrong, but he was also wealthy. Right. Yeah. You know, wealth is not a sin. No. No. Yeah. And I mean, I think you both hit ex- exactly on what would, what would be my answer to that situation. And not just, not just the somebody calling your charitability into charitability. Is that a word? Yes. Yeah. If it's not, I just coined it. Your, your charitive nature into call. That was question. It's that wasn't a word. Charitive. 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 You went from a, a perfect word. Char- to, it's to charitable. A word charitable. Really yeah. Okay. Well, I'm just going to keep dancing around the same, same word. Uh-huh. Um, it's, it, you know, and just anything, you know, people that constantly would use you in your good nature over and over and over again. And you putting your foot down and, and, you know, I'm not going to be a doormat, doormat anymore. Right. You know, I think it's like you, and like I said, both of you hit on the fact that it's not, nobody on earth sets the standards mm-hmm. God did. So as long as we are following what he commanded and, you know, as he commands in the Bible, I think that's the, that's the morality you need to stick to. Mm-hmm. Not, um, you know, not. Not what people, you know, and it that brings to mind a, a situation, you know, here real recently was, um, and it's it's something small, but it kind of stuck out of my head. Um, so we went to the zoo recently, and we stayed all the way up until closing. So you guys know what happens when large crowds and everything closes at one time, mm-hmm. right? You get stuck in a parking lot. Mm-hmm. <sighs> it's a test of faith, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> I knew it going out. I'm like, look at all these people. Well, it's going to be a nightmare. So, um, so we get to a point where I'm, I'm at a T section trying to get out into like the main line of traffic and the, the moral or the correct or whatever thing you want to say is, you know, one person from this lane goes, one person from this lane goes, one person from this lane goes, one person from this lane goes. And, and, uh, so I get to the, I get to the front of the line and it's my turn to go. And this lady is creeping and creeping, acting like she's not going to let me in. I'm like, all right, you know, you're not going to let me in fine. And it could be, and my gut reaction to that was, was my wife said, well, I don't think this lady's going to let you in. And I was like, yeah. Well, she's going to have to be the one to answer to that, not not me. And I was like, and I started thinking about that. I was like, 
like to me, that's me, like you said, putting my my morals on her. Mm-hmm. And then that would circumvent like, well, that's not a very Christian thing to do that you just butted in line. When I don't really think that there's a guideline in the Bible of how to exit a, a parking lot, <laughs> yeah. right? I haven't come across it yet. Yeah. So, but then I got to thinking, I'm like, well, you know, in, in that situation, who would be, who would be the one that would be more in the wrong? You know, would it be, would it be me trying to call her out or, you know, oh, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it just kind of throws you. And that's what I'm saying where I think we need to guard against, you know, the, the, the opposite end of, of just throwing that back at somebody. Cause then does that put you more in the wrong than the person that, that, that was the accuser or not? So just something that kind of stuck out of my head this week. Yeah. Sometimes I think we worry about things that doesn't really matter. You know, I think we put too much effort into, uh, things that we don't need to things that waste our energy on, feelings that this person did this or this person did that. And I think that's society now, like we're, we're made to think that we're, we're worried about things that don't really matter. And what really matters is maybe that person needed to get to a spot quicker than you, you know, maybe mm-hmm. they were looking at, you know, a time frame where they got caught up and they're trying to be somewhere or, you know, you never yep. know the, the circumstances or anything else. And, you know, we're worried about a time frame on ourselves or this, that, or the other. And we don't know other people's things. And, you know, I, I've done it myself. I, I did it in Walmart earlier, you know, like a lady butted in front of me to get into the self checkout line. Like I'm, self-checkout you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it wasn't even the checkout line with the actual worker it was the self-checkout i'm just like okay well maybe she's got somewhere to be maybe yep. you know what i mean and uh you know i think we end up putting our our thoughts and our feelings way too much into some of the smaller things and it's not we spend energy on it and I don't think we need to. (laughs) No, I agree. I think we're very easily distracted with little things like that. And perspective matters too. We tend to have a very selfish perspective on things. And it seems to be what you're hitting on there. You know, we don't, we don't take into account, you know, what somebody else has going on, what they're, what they're battling, what they're fighting, what, you know, there's a lot of factors that we don't tend to, we don't tend to factor in. (laughs) You know what I mean? We just, we just feel and act and, think and say <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and it's it's always geared toward what we want or what we need in the moment rarely geared toward what the other person may may want that we can't you know we can't perceive right also too i think there's like you get like you said we're distracted by it i mean and we all know that one of the greatest tools of the devil is distraction mm-hmm. if he can keep us distracted on things that don't matter you know, the micro things that don't matter, we might miss the macro things that do. Yeah. So. Yeah. That was an illustration that they, they gave it. Um, the pastor this weekend gave was he took a board. It's like 168 inches long. He's like, this represents all the hours you have in a week. You know, no matter what, this is what you get. This is how much time you have. And he started sawing off sections on it. You know, this is how much time we spend sleeping. You know, that section's gone. 
This is how much time we spend, you know, working. Section's gone. This is how much time the average person spends on social media. Section's gone. By the time he was done, it was like a, a three-inch piece left that we have to give to God. Right. You know, yeah. and it's because of all the time that we waste because we're so distracted. You know, we're so busy and we're so distracted with 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 petty things that really don't matter, and we give very very little back to Him. Right. Or we don't. We don't. And I like that illustration. Except I, I'll challenge it with: if we carried Him through those activities, would they be more meaningful? Like, that is true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like and that's kind of where you know where we've talked about putting him at the top of the list versus him being the center of our circle. Whereas if we put him on the top of the list, yeah, he might only get three hours, but if we carry him with us, then, you know, time spent commuting time at work, you know, all those opportunities that you have to witness, even, even when you don't even think you are just by the way that you carry yourself and the way that you treat people and the love that you reflect. Well, I love that you mentioned that. Actually, yeah. because I think, you know, with the illustration, the assumption is those other activities you can't use to glorify God. You can only right. you can only have this leftover piece, but even what you were talking about, you know, earlier, Sonny, you know, you can you can witness in your workplace. You know yeah. what I mean? You can you can I uh I I was telling Carl about uh I I was so worried because I ended up having to work on a Sunday and uh you know, it it I mean I was making good money, but still it was like I I'm missing church. Like mm-hmm. I want to be at church and uh, <laughs> it was so weird because I was sitting in the office and I'm just sitting there and I was just like, man, God, I, I just church is going on right now and I'm trying to pull it up online and watch mm-hmm. it online. And, and uh, I, uh, a coworker came in and was just like, Hey man, I've seen some of your posts. What? So you believe in God? Do you think God's real? And then I ended up having an, an hour, hour and 20 minute conversation with this guy at work and basically had church at work and right. got paid for it. And awesome. it was, it was, it was absolutely amazing. I, I mean, I, things have been happening so crazy lately and like Carl in this, in this podcast and like being able to be here, like this is such, such an awesome thing. I, I am so excited to be here today. And, uh, um, I was so worried about my time and changing schedules because I was on day shift and I was going to different things and different um, church events and and some meetings and stuff. And, um, you know, I was trying to surround myself with Christians, with with people that are are searching and people that are are trying to grow. And, um, you know, through this promotion at work and stuff, and I ended up having to change my entire schedule. Like everything got completely just thrown out and like, okay, this isn't going to work anymore. This isn't going to work anymore. And so now Carl invited me here and like, I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's, that's such a cool story anyway. Cause like I was telling, I was telling you, I'll tell it on the podcast. I think it's too, it's too cool not to tell. So I would, I'd been talking to, to my wife, Steph mm-hmm. just days before this, right. That, you know, I feel like, I feel like we need like, somebody else in the podcast with us. You know what I mean? I feel like we're, it just felt like there's somebody out there that we're supposed to have on here. You know what I mean? I really couldn't put my finger on it. Two days later, we have the Tuesday night Bible study and Sonny, Sonny had come before you'd come before, but you know, that night you weren't able to, but you know, normally we started at what time do we start at seven, 
forget what, yeah. what time my own Bible study starts. Starts at seven. I got so much going on. I can't keep stuff straight. <laughs> but by the time your thing was done, Sonny, it was like what eight o'clock. Yeah, by the time you were, which we're done. You know what I mean? We're done by then. And you said you had drove 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 right past it. I had actually drove past it, went to the stop sign, and then like sat at the stop sign, and then I was just like, "No, I'm going in." So I backed up all the way down the street, oh, okay. <laughs> and then pulled into a parking lot or a parking spot, and then I was just like, "All right, I'm going in." And I was just like, "Maybe I can just sit there and fellowship for a little bit." There's quite a few people in there, and I was just like, "Carl, what's up?" You know. And everything, and he was just like, hey, well, since you don't know what you're doing, what are you doing on Mondays? Nothing that I know of. And he was like, Come to the podcast. I'm like, ah. All right. <laughs> yeah, because you would ask if there was like a, a, a daytime option for Bible studies or something yeah. like that is what you would ask about since you were going to have to work evenings. Yeah. So a lot of those options wouldn't work. I'm kind of racking my brain. I asked Bob, I'm like, wait, do you have any ideas? He's like, no, I really don't. I'm like, well, come to the podcast. Podcast like a Bible study. Right. Come record with us, you know? Yeah. And I even, like I told you, I even told Steph later, I'm like, I, I feel like he's supposed to be a part of it. Right. I just have this feeling. Like, I don't even know, like, it's not like I go around asking people, hey, come on the podcast with us. Right. I don't, I don't, I don't just ask <laughs> random people to sit in the podcast with us. You know yeah. what I mean? It's the yeah. first time I've done it. Pretty sure. Other than Micah, which, is, yeah. which he hasn't been on since we've joined Broken Record. But yeah, it's the first time, I think. It's pretty awesome. It's pretty cool. It's stuff. a pleasure. Right on. It's an honor. When he makes things happen, yeah, it happens. And it's, it all comes down to what you said, him being at the center of your circle. So I think you're right to challenge that analogy because no matter what you're doing, if he's at the center of your circle, it can be glorifying to him. Yeah. It's not a matter of, I can't give him this space because I'm working. I can't give him this space because I'm resting. I can't give him this space because it's free time. You know what I mean? You can give yeah. him all of your time if he's at the center of all of it. Yeah. Because it's not, it's not even just about witnessing. I think we have this misconception that we have to constantly be converting people yeah right you know a lot of the time that he wants from you is just communing with him just yeah. spending time with him listening to him praying to him you know what i mean that's giving him time too and i think we neglect I, i'm speaking to myself i'm preaching myself because like, <laughs> like i was telling you my prayer life isn't great sometimes yeah, right and i think i think we neglect that aspect it's always we have to be doing something for the kingdom we have to be advancing the kingdom somehow and we kind of neglect the most important thing is having a relationship with the king you know, right. we forget about that part. Yeah. Well, nothing, nothing is more humbling. And this kind of speaks to, 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 to where I am, where is, you know, you tell like when I, when we first started the podcast, I was telling people about it and they go, Oh, I didn't, I didn't even realize that you, that you were a Christian. I'm like, yikes. <laughs> How far off base was I that like, like they're completely surprised that I'm going to be on a Christian based podcast. I'm like, that's eye opening. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's very humbling that, okay, maybe, maybe I am going about this wrong. Maybe I am compartmentalizing. Did I do that? Did it's pretty it? good. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I had to do it slow, but I got there. <laughs> I'll give you a B plus. <laughs> you know, compartmentalizing him and, and putting him, you know, in this space only for this space. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. I'll tie it back to the analogy you kind of used with driving the, the woman cutting you off. I remember months ago, I don't know why it stuck out at me. We were, Steph and I were driving and, and somebody, somebody cut us off viciously at a stoplight <laughs> trying to pull into Walmart. I hadn't even got to Walmart yet. And I was already dealing with people like that. Like, that's, that's bad. Mm -hmm. When Walmart's gotten so bad that even the highway outside of Walmart, <laughs> there's a problem. Uh -huh. there's, there's a culture problem there. Side note. 
I, I stopped at the Walmart on the way out of town the other day. You have one of the most challenging in and outs of a Walmart <laughs> yeah. that I have seen. There's no stoplight, no nothing. No. Yeah. I'm like, how does this even happen with this much? I mean, it was mind boggling. <laughs> Sorry. I never go out of Walmart that way. Oh, I, go, okay. I go around the side route. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no, the light. There's yeah. another, there's another entrance. Ah, I see a secret entrance. Outsiders. It's actually where the stoplight is. Oh, yeah. well, okay. Well, that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> I probably should have looked for that then. Probably. I'll show you next time. <laughs> but anyway, the the one that cut it cut us off, they uh it was a business vehicle. Like they had their their business plastered all over. It's like some I think it was a realty company or something like that. And I'm like, you know, I, I even looked at Steph, I'm like, you know, you would think you would drive a little bit more careful mm-hmm. if you were advertising your business while you were driving that. Yeah. And I got to thinking about it, I'm like, how often do we do that with our faith though? Yeah. You know what I mean? We walk around with these shirts on, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Our our face shirts, our church shirts and stuff like that and and you know, televised to everybody, hey, look at me, I'm a Christian. But then the way we act, our living testimony doesn't speak like a Christian. Right, right. You know what I mean? We don't we don't behave. And I know, you know, it's kind of what you were talking about with, with people applying, well, that's not a very Christian way to behave, but we have the wrong moral ethic. You know what I mean? We're so focused on these tertiary issues over here that our general behavior toward one, one another isn't very good. Right. You know, and I, I think that's important to be mindful of, that if we're going to, we're going to wear our faith on our sleeve. We better be at least striving to wear it the right way. Right. Right. Yeah. I completely agree with that because like me, I, I tend to have a hard time with speeding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I, I've actually a couple of times I've been convicted about it because it's like, um, I had a coworker, uh, say, Hey, you drive that black truck. Don't you? I'm just like, yeah, he's just like, yeah, I see you fly by us every day. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, uh, uh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to just get home, you know? And, yeah. and it's like, well, hey, you know, maybe I should stop doing that. Maybe I should just do the speed limit and kind of not pass people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like I say, I think we do that in our faith a lot. I know I do. I do. Or at least I, I, I still do. I used to be real bad, especially with the anger problem. Mm. outbursts the things you would say uh-huh. aren't good you know what i mean you'll boast about being a believer and then lash out at people the way i used to do Ugh, yeah not good yeah i mean i mean it's no secret that i like to play you know road police so that the woman not following the 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 exiting protocol <laughs> of a parking lot is like it's like i want to get out and blow a whistle <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> it's like again but it's like one of those things that's like is, is that really does that really need to take up your time and space in your head? You know, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's always there. And I mean, it's not just, and it, it exacerbated the fact that there was people that were like ditching in other lanes. So the, the way the, the way it worked was the parking lot, you know, on the main, on the outside of it was the main line. And then, so there was intersecting lines that run this way. Well, people that were behind me were ditching out. And I know this makes no sense to the people on the podcast because they can't see where my hands are directing. But they were ditching out. They were ditching from lines behind me so I could see people in my rearview mirror ditching out of the lines and across the parking lot and basically going right to the very end, right to the very exit point mm-hmm. and then cutting in line there. And it's like, <sighs> It was trying. It's like I said, it's just, but you know, 
I think that's one of those things that it's, you know, the, the devil knows that's, that's it's in my crawl. So he uses mm-hmm. it against me. So he's a yeah. good button pusher. Yep. Oh yeah. You guys got anything else? Nope. Let's go ahead and hit our music break. This week, we're going to play a song called All of Me by ASAP Preach. And again, as a reminder, those of you listening, if you have original music you would like us to consider featuring on future episodes of Digging Deeper, reach out to us on social media at our Facebook group, Broken Record Ministries, or you can email us at brokenrecordministries at gmail.com. And again, we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 22 on the other side, so be sure and stick around to the other side of the song. And again, this is All of Me by ASAP Preach. Talk at you in a few. I gotta release, I can feel I almost ain't gotta be quick Try to hold on to my pants with all of my breath I can feel that if I let go of all of myself I can get rid of the trash that's giving me hell If I open up my eyes, I see my reflection Looking up to the sky, I receive my blessing Just hoping when I die, I see what I question Giving God of my life, what is my aggression? Take it all, Lord Devil cooking, I wish you would die then He's looking at my life, he's putting in my hands I don't want it, I couldn't survive in one moment without Jesus, he's looking on my sins I can see it was following all, I wasn't following God, I guess the problem is all And I noticed when I woke up an obvious flaw, now I give out of my God, now I give out of my God Yeah, yeah, got me reading, I'm needing this all food And Jesus, I know you believe that it's so true Now you got me whatever I go through, I can do this by myself, I give it all to you, yeah But now I'm free you. you were the light when I couldn't see And then you called my name, I ain't the same And I couldn't be, I fell off the path And made my own, looking for peace Already had it, but my spirit was weak It's here when you speak, this fear is in me As clear as can be, you have been defeating the sand Just carrying me, God yeah. Even when I've been in the mood and I feel alone And suffering long, you're bringing me home yeah. See, I don't wanna be where I was Feeling empty, God, I get so tempted to run But you came even when I cursed your name Every drop of blood I spilled, you took that blame You took my chains, you took my fears I let you rain, you wiped my tears You healed my pain, I needed you all of me Like I'm a quick man. I 
think back, it's making me sick. Yeah. All them times was tempted to sin. I just sit back and never persist. Never press on in the prayer, God. A wicked Christian, that's a paradox. Yeah. I Satan gained up with the barrel pop. Trying to run back to my God, he said, Better night. I don't really care what you gotta say Cause you whispered in my ear, I did a lot of things I done spurned God's name in a lot of ways Always forgave and took me back when I put my pride away And now I'm repping Jesus and putting death to evil And I may not want nor, but I'ma always need him And yeah, I felt defeated cause I've committed treason But I can see him bleeding on Calvary for heathen So all that drug dealing, drunkenness and fiending It's covered by the blood and I'll never get subpoenaed I'll never get exposed when Satan's trying to creep And I'll tell him hell's heat and I've been restored the Eden, whoa. Giving you all of me yeah. Lord, I'm giving you all of me When I couldn't hear you calling me yeah. Still I gave you all of me Cause you're the only way, way, way You are the only way, way And we are back again. That was All of Me by ASAP Preach. And I want to encourage you, whenever we feature music, show the artist some love. I don't, I don't feature music on here lightly. Typically, they're ones that they're in it for the right reasons. They have a good testimony and they're using their, their music for ministry. So at least hit them up on Spotify, give them a follow, you know, show them some support. They deserve it. Uh, that's all I have to say on that, I guess. Cool. I thought I was going to say something else, but then I blanked <laughs> out. So I guess not. So yeah. And this week we're going to dig into Matthew chapter 22, specifically the parable of the wedding guests. But before we do that, I want to back up to Matthew chapter 21, the parable of the two sons, because I think it's important to establish the context there. Surprise. <laughs> yes. You like my surprises, don't you? <laughs> I'm just noting that I might have not a lot to say on this. <laughs> So as usual, like I say, we'll do this free form. So I'll just read through. If you guys have any thoughts, be sure and interrupt me. Be as rude about it as possible. It's perfectly fine. I don't mind. <laughs> okay. All right. So Matthew chapter 21, verse 28 says, A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. So he starts off full rebellion, mm -hmm. right? He doesn't even just, he doesn't even give lip service here. He said, he point blank tells the master, no, I'm not going to do that. So this is, this is point blank rebellion, but then it says he regretted it. And the word there is, is metamelamahi. And it's one of the Greek words for repenting. We've got into that before. Mm -hmm. I don't think since we joined broken record, but I, I have on the round table before. And it, it's, it's a word that essentially means the change of mind. Regret's a good translation, but it's it's essentially a change of mind. You have your your you're remorseful for your actions. But then it goes further and says that he went. So he paired his change of mind and his remorse with outward action. Right. Right. So although he started in rebellion, he changes his mind later and goes and does what he was told to do. Yeah, mine mine flat says he changed his mind and went. No, oh, perfect. So yeah. yeah. Continuing verse thirty, the man came to the second and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. 
So he gives lip service, but he doesn't obey. Right. So we have one that gives outward rebellion, but then goes. And another that says all the right things, but then stays. Right. This is the dichotomy we have here presented to us. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they answered the first. And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, and that they here, by the way, are the Pharisees. Right. right the religious elites. Right. The ones who are giving good lip service. Truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. That's harsh. Oof. And he, he specifies tax collectors and prostitutes, by the way, it's, it's a placeholder for all sinners. He, he specifies those because they were considered the bottom of the barrel, right? When, when, you, when you thought of the worst of the worst of all sinners, those are the two, the two groups you would think of, tax collectors and prostitutes. Tax collectors in that day were known for scamming people. You know, they, you know the Romans would even use fellow Jews and, and enlist them, and they right. would scam their own people, right? They would, they would skim off the top right. is what they were doing. They, they were hated. Tax collectors were despised back then as being immoral and, and unethical in the way they treated their neighbor. And obviously we know what prostitutes were. So, and he's saying that, you know, they have a better chance of making the kingdom than you guys do. You, know, you guys are in the synagogue every Sabbath. There's a good chance you're not going to make it, but they will. Why? Why would these willful sinners have a better chance at making it based upon the parable he's telling here? What do you think he's telling them? What's the message to the Pharisees, I guess, is what I'm asking. Oh, uh, I thought that kind of come in the next verse, but... I'll read it. Um, <laughs> you go ahead. I'm all nasally. You're a lot better. No, I, yeah, I, I like the nasally sound. <laughs> it's, it's a good sound for you. Well, at least it ain't like Fran. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Dude, okay, you seriously want me to... Okay. Yes, I'll, I'll wait as long as it takes. <laughs> For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. So I think it, it kind of presents the, the, the picture that they, at first, the tax collectors and prostitutes did not believe, but then they changed their mind and did. Whereas these Pharisees, like the, more like the second son, that said all the right things, but didn't really believe mm -hmm. and, but didn't really, did, didn't really have that change of their, in their mind or heart. 100%. And I want to connect it to the first episode we dig. We, we did, but digging deeper with the parable, of the prodigal son. The first the, episode we dug, we, we dug. dug. Is that what I said? I said, you said, you said the first episode we, we dig dug. and then you were like, did. And I was like, I was like, that could have worked if you just said dig. I should have played it off, but it was accidental. It was a stupid Carl slip. But anyway, you remember the response of the older brother? Mm -hmm. I have never disobeyed one of your commandments. That's right. his response. When, when the father embraces the prodigal child, and throws a party, a celebration, because he got his son back. The older brother was so self-righteous that they, they wouldn't even acknowledge that they had ever sinned. And we know that's false. We know that's a lie. There's nobody that hasn't sinned. Solomon's clear about that in the prayer right. that he gives the consecration of the temple. When, when, when your people sin, and then he says, for there is no man who does not sin. He's clear about that. Paul, 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 Paul reiterates that. No right. one is without sin. 
everybody has sinned. But the elder brother's response was, I've never sinned. I've never disobeyed anything that you've ever told me to do. So self-righteous, he doesn't even have a consciousness that there's sin in his life. And I think that's the picture he's painting here. The, the tax collectors and the prostitutes have a better chance of making the kingdom because they are keenly aware of their sin. They right. fully understand right. how sinful they are, they are and how in need of a savior they are. The self-righteous are, are so blinded by their own self-righteousness that they don't even see they need a savior because right. they think they're perfect. And we all need a savior, right? There's, all sin separates. You know, the, the sin for these Pharisees was separating them from the Father just as much as the sin of the prostitutes were. It's the same separation, and, and the solution is the same. Jesus, a Savior. It's the only way to, to, to cure that separation, and they weren't even acknowledging they needed that. Right. But it required a response. They had to believe and pair that with regret and a change of behavior, or at least an attempt to change behavior, a willingness, I should say. We'll get into that in a second, but a willingness to change their behavior. Skipping down to verse 43, I think he really highlights what he's really saying here. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. It's a very important phrase there, producing the fruit of it, because that's directly tied to the context of the parable of the two sons above. The fruit of the kingdom is turning away from the sin that's separating you from the father. That's the fruit here. See, mine, mine says it a little bit different. It says, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce the proper fruit. That's interesting. That's an in- the, the nation translation is interesting to me. Yeah. Because that kind of, that makes me think of outsiders. Right. Right. Gentiles is what it makes me think of. I'm not sure what the proper translation there is, to be honest with you. Uh, in, the, in the context of he's talking about everybody, this could apply to anybody, but in the specific context, he's talking about sinners within the Judean nation. But yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. You got a thought, Chris. You're flipping around pretty pretty heavily. <laughs> your, you said, your brows are furrowed, your, uh-huh. your yeah, deep you concentration. In verse 42, he says that? 43. 43. Well, maybe that's why I'm having a hard time finding it. 42, he quotes uh, Psalm 118. Okay. That's why I'm having a hard time finding it. Yeah, there it is. Okay. Sorry. I'm all caught up now. Oh, you didn't have a thought? No. Oh. No, I was just trying to find that. I'm like, where do they find that? <laughs> I'm like, I had a I had a dummy moment. I'm like, I, do I not know how to read my Bible? <laughs> I just think that's important to keep in the back of our minds that that we are expected to produce the fruit of the kingdom. The, the proper fruit at some point. Right. At some point, we have to make a change. And that's why I kind of like that, because it was the proper fruit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, uh, and in some instances, I think it depends on the, per- the, the person, the situation, and it, the Word of God has always changed for me. I can, I don't, it's always the living word, you know, yeah. um, I can read one verse in one time in my life and it mean something that I needed then. And then now I can read it now and it'll be completely different. It'll mm-hmm. mean a completely different meaning and proper fruit. I think that proper fruit can change in all times. And like it, it's weird. <laughs> I'm, Kind of going blank now. <laughs> no, I know what I mean. I think he approached this where we're at. And I yeah. think I think we need to approach situations 
with discernment. Yeah. I think it's the right way to say it. And if you, if even going down to 44, anyone who stumbles over the stone will be broken to pieces and will crush anyone it falls on. That kind of, you stumble over a stone because you misinterpret or mislead or, you know, like the, the misleading of people that comes down to like, you, you're not at that point to where you're supposed to be leading people. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're putting yourself too much into it and you're not producing the proper fruit. So like, take a step back, regather, let God control everything. Like it goes back to what we were talking about before. You know, if you let God produce your fruit, then it's the real fruit, the proper fruit. Yeah. But, you know, you try to put yourself into it and try to bring your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, and then it's it's not going to be right. I think it's a really good a really good point to bring up. the The Pharisees were guilty of trying to produce the fruit on their own, right? Mm-hmm. And it made them arrogant. Yeah, yeah. look at what I'm doing, look mm-hmm. what I'm producing. God's got to bless me because I'm doing so much for Him. But I think you know these sinners that He's talking about understood that they needed they needed to change, but they needed His help to change. Right. They couldn't produce the change in themselves. You know, they had to they had to believe and and regret and repent but he's the one that has to has to implement the change in our heart to make us capable of producing the proper fruit. Right. Because you have to be connected to the vine, right, to produce the fruit that's required. Yeah. You know, you, and you have to be connected to the correct vine. Yep. You know, if you want to produce grapes, you better be produced, you, you, you better be connected to a grapevine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. The vine's always been a, a kind of a parable in my in my mind about it because it's always you have to be connected to it. Like you said, um, and in times of my life, I've always tried to go off of that and produce. No, it don't work out. No, it don't. <laughs> it don't work out. And then, you know, I got to get reconnected, get re reconnected to the vine and reconnected to God, reconnected to Jesus. And, and, uh, you know, right now it, the, I look back just say a year ago and, I was the stone that was broken to pieces. I was the stone that was shattered over the ground and, and, you know, I had to reconnect. Mm -hmm. I had to, to, to come back. That's what's kind of sad about this text is, you know, the Pharisees had just as much opportunity to believe and reconnect as anybody else. He's pleading with them here. He gives parable after parable after parable, trying to show them how how hypocritical they were and how disconnected from the God they claimed to serve they were. And he's pleading with them to come home, right. and they just refuse. It's uh, it's kind of brings up my my uh, one one of the things of my final thoughts. But I'm just gonna throw this word out here: the patient pursuit of them. He's patiently pursuing them. I love that. Over and over and over again, parable after parable. And I think we'll see that when we go through 22. Before we start on that, I do want to, because I was going to skip it and 
At, at one point, I was going to bring up verse 44, and then I'm like, ah, no, we'll just skip it. And then you brought it up anyway, so I think we're supposed to. The turn of phrase here is fascinating to me because, you know, I'm going to read that again. And he who falls on this stone, this stone is Jesus. He's, he's, he just quoted Psalm 118, which is talking about the cornerstone. Mm-hmm. And he is the cornerstone. So that's what he's referring to here. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. There's no third option. You notice that? There's no option that leaves us intact. The only two options you have are to fall on him or stubbornly let him fall on you. And I think what he's talking about here is the difference between humbling yourself like the tax collectors and prostitutes were and throwing themselves upon his mercy and pleading. And it leads to brokenness because when you have a pot, when you have a, when you have a vase or something that isn't, that's flawed, often what you'll have to do is break it to, to remake it. And I think that's what he's talking about here. He's got to break them to remake them. But the ones that are being fallen upon are the ones that are stubbornly refusing to throw themselves upon his mercy. And the end for them isn't good. Like it, like Mm-mm. it will scatter him like dust. That's scary. You know, he's pleading with them, fall on me, fall on my mercy. You know, there may be some pain involved, but the outcome will be amazing. Right. I'll make you into something that you never could have made yourself into, but you have to fall on me first. I think that's what he's telling us here. You know, and I've, I've seen it throughout my life. I've, I've tried to keep things in my control, in my way, I've tried to succeed. And any time that I've ever tried to do that, I've, I've felt I've, I've not succeeded, but whenever it's been God, it's been glorious. Yeah. Uh, There's been so many times that it's, he's always the one that ends up making me successful. Yep. And Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've never really done anything good myself. It's always been whenever I've followed him or followed what he wants. Yep. And it's been the biggest part of my life, biggest part of my story. And it's whenever things happen, it's through him, not me. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Zechariah 4, 6, one of my favorite references, not by strength nor by might, but by my spirit. We've got to get to a place where we we learn to depend wholly on him and acknowledge that every good thing comes from him. We can't produce the proper fruit on our own. We can make a good show of it for a while. But I mean the Pharisees were making a good outward show of it in some ways. But it's gotta it's gotta come through him and by him. Do you have any thoughts, Chris, before we move on? Okay. All right. Parable of the wedding guests. Matthew chapter twenty two, verse one. Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, remember, this is the same context. Right. We're not talking about like a, a, he's having the same discussion with the same group of people here. Yep. Parable after parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast and they were unwilling to come. A couple of things. Every time in my translation, the word slaves appears, it's the Greek word doulos. It means a bond slave, and I think he's referencing like the prophets and the and the the shepherds and, and the his servants that he sent to warn the people, to plead with the people to return to him, is what he's referencing mm-hmm. throughout the centuries. Or even, you know, I, th- I think it can even reference, you know, him speaking directly to us. But often right. in this context, he's talking about him sending his servants out to warn the people, return to me. Right. 
I was going to say that, um, that kind of goes into a point again that I was going to make, I think, cause we'll see multiple invitations are sent out. I think this first round, I agree, but I, th- I think it's more along the lines of the prophets that he sent out mm-hmm. to Israel. Uh, yes. I, I think so that's too. the, that I think that's the, this first round of people that were invited because it's, it, I, I liken this to like a save the date. Like these are people that the King sent out proclamations to, Hey, my son is going to get married. Be ready to come. Yeah. And then this is when he, okay, it's, the days come, I send out my servants to gather the people. So. I think the most important phrase there in that verse three is unwilling to come. They were unwilling. It's not saying that, that they were without spot or blemish. You know what I mean? Or they had spot and blemish right. that the opposite way. He's not saying that they weren't perfect. So they, they weren't allowed to enter. He's saying they were unwilling. Right. That was the problem. They weren't even willing to come. Right. And that, and, and it, so mine said refused to come. Yep. And that's, that's what, what made me think of when he sent the prophets out to, to Israel mm-hmm. and they time and time and time and time again, just rejected it. Right. You see, you know, we, they'd, you know, be good for a while and then they just totally reject. And it's just over that rejection over and over and over again. Yeah, that's actually what I wrote in the margins in my notes is they reject the open invitation. Right. It's essentially what you have here framed is he's sending an open invitation to everyone and they reject the invitation. Mm-hmm. Verse four. Again, he sent out other slaves saying, tell those who have been invited, behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened livestock are all butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their way, one to his own farm another to his own business. I'm going to pause there. I think that's interesting. Again, we, we, we find them rejecting, unwilling, paying no attention. But look at what they're doing. It went their own way, one to his own farm, another to his own business. They're being distracted by the things of the world. Right. Yeah. That's what I see there. It's, it's, they're pursuing, again, you know, having things, as we talked about in the top half, is not a sin. Having wealth is not a sin. But making wealth and the pursuit of wealth, your God is a sin. Yeah. And that's, I think, what they're doing here. Their pursuit right. of things and their pursuit of the world and the things of the world became their God. Right. So they were ignoring the call of their God. Right. It's, uh, to me, it's almost like they tried to entrench themselves deeper in their denial. Because So the second invitation went out, which, again, this is the era of shame. Right. You're living in a culture of shame where a king would not double down on anything. You reject the first invitation, there's not going to be a second one. Yeah. So this is, again, the king is belittling his stature in, in the community and sending out the second invitation more so that he's saying, Oh, you, do you not understand? This is a party. Like it's not going to be some humdrub we're just going to stand around and talk and you know like weddings in this time were like six seven day events right yeah it was like, a big deal it was big deal big big party you know for days on end there'd be music and dancing and he even says i have my oxen and fattened cattle which is you know their, Again, del- their delicacies it's 
and he's sending it out in earnest. The stuff's ready. It's, it's sitting around. I don't want it to go to waste. This feast is ready. Come. And yet again, so now they're like, okay, well, we can't just refuse. So now we got to do other things. Mm-hmm. We got to dig, we got to dig ourselves deeper in our refusal because he's come after us even harder. Yeah. Right. So it's almost like, well, you're going to come after me harder. I'm going to drive down the opposite way harder. Yep. Right. Yep. They let themselves become busy. I think that's one of the best weapons the enemy has against us is busyness. Yeah. It is so busy and distracted. We don't even notice the invitation that's being, that's being sent to us. And I think that's what happened here. I mean, they, yeah. they willingly threw themselves into their distraction, Yeah. not giving them an excuse, but it was certainly the enemy that sent it. Yeah. And then they, then they dive off the real deep end here. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, you're good. And, and before I do read that, I do, I do, you know, what really jumps out at me is that, like you said, the number of opportunities he gives, begs mm-hmm. him, pleads with him. And every time, you know, we, we can't even, we can subdivide each one of these calls to, to, to the wedding feast, these invitations sent. Slaves is plural each time. Right. So each time he sends out an invitation, you could probably subdivide that multiple times on how how many opportunities he gave them right. to right. respond to the call. So I, I, you know, I would, I would argue that each one of these, 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 how would you describe it? Rounds of invitation were multi-stage. Right. So they were refusing and, and, and rejecting the invitation multiple times at each stage that he sent the invitations out yep. and he kept sending it. It's just stunning to me that the magnitude of his grace and his unwilling, his unwillingness to let us go easily is it's heartbreaking. It's really heartbreaking. So verse six and the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. And this is where I I agree with you. This can be applied in a lot of different ways, but a very specific application is the prophets. Because that's exactly what they did with the prophets. When he sent the prophets to warn them, they they would beat them like they did with Jeremiah. They would imprison them like they they did with with Micaiah, or they would kill them. Right. I was saying, I I pulled even more from the next couple of verses, but we'll we'll get there. You may read first. Yeah, go ahead. Verse seven, but the king was enraged and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Lesson there, his patience does have limits. He's very patient. He doesn't want to lose anyone, but it does have limits. And one of those limits is taking his devoted servants and mistreating them. Few things will enrage the father more quickly than taking someone that he has set aside to warn you about your sin and mistreating that person. Yeah. And that's, that's where I get that, that, that these first two rounds of invitations were the, the beginning one was the early prophets. And then the second one was the, the later prophets, you know, like John the Baptist mm-hmm. and, and the ones in, um, and then, you know, the, the, the city that was destroyed was Jerusalem. I mean, he, it was prophesied oh, yeah. that Jerusalem would, would, would be destroyed and it was mm-hmm. and it was it was ransacked and destroyed burnt to the ground yeah and so more than once more than once so that's why that's why that's why i pull that you know these were the because then and i get i'm getting ahead so that i'm just saying that's why i pulled that the first sorry the first two invitations i just chris hit his mind. mic 
I just, yeah. Very irresponsible. <laughs> Been doing this for a year and you're still doing it. <laughs> I'm still doing it. Yeah. Um, that's where I pulled that these first two invitations were specifically f- for his people, Jerusalem. Do you think he and had the, John the Baptist in mind when he, he says this, when, when he, when that line he gives, uh, when he talks about a mistreating and killing the slaves. And then he says, but the King was enraged. Uh-huh. Cause I, I feel emotion from Jesus when yeah. even just reading this off the page, I feel emotion. Do you think he had, I mean, I'm sure he had all the prophets that were mistreated, but do you think he had John the Baptist specifically in mind when he said that? Absolutely. Yep. That's, I mean, that's kind of where I pulled, you know, I, I pulled that from. And then, um, let me look here real quick. I'm trying to find it. And then where I, in my side notes, Sorry, um, do you know I'm wasting time? Uh, I'll dock your pay later. <laughs> right on. Uh, I think it's in Luke where where the verse was where he basically said that you know Jerusalem would be surrounded by its enemies and destroyed, mm-hmm. and that's kind of where I pulled I pulled that from. Oh man, I'm having I'm struggling. I'm gonna leave every second of this in too. <laughs> want everyone to feel our pain. Well, I don't want it to, I don't want to lose my space, but I didn't, I don't have like tabulations. See, I've been switching back and forth between, uh, different translations on, I got the, uh, U version Bible app mm-hmm. and I've been switching back and forth trying to see what kind of different, translations there are trying to cross-reference yeah. yeah and um it it's different because um like the king james version um mine is nasb by the way and i was saying i read from the niv so. niv okay so i've been doing king james new king james uh the american standard version and new living translation mm-hmm. so those are usually my kind of go-to's on different different translations on it because a lot of times it has different meanings and different ways to, Mm -hmm. to look at it. Um, so the, the new King James version, um, let's just say, uh, five, uh, but they made light of it and went their way. Um, one of his own, uh, one to his own farm, one to his business. And then the rest seized his servants, treating them spitefully and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burnt their cities. Um, Made light of it. Yeah, I like I, that. Made yeah. light of it. Yeah. the 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 thing that gets me though is like, is does it say cities or their city? Because in my my translation, it says burned up their city. There's like it so was singular. So it was singular. singular. Yeah. Right. So that that tell to me that's that's telling me like the place where that seizing and was going, was going on was in one city, mm-hmm. Jerusalem. Yeah. So the Ex. one place that it shouldn't have been. This could be dualistic. He's probably, he's probably referencing, he knows that when he says that their mind is going to go to the Babylonian captivity, probably, right. but I think he's probably dualistically pointing forward what's going to happen in, in AD 70 uh-huh. when Roman armies surround the city too. That's funny. You said that. Cause that's, that's exactly that. That's the one that I went to is when the Roman armies surrounded them, built encampments and then ransacked it and then built the, built the. 
and through Fuck. through every every translation, it is city singular singular. singular. So might be reading too much into that, but that's <laughs> yeah. So we're here. It kind of oh, yeah. sets up. It kind of sets up the the from verse eight to fourteen in my reasoning of that it, that then the invitation then went out to the world right. after that. Yeah. Right. So. So yeah, verse eight. Thank you for rescuing me, Sonny, on that one. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Oof. That's tough. What made them unworthy? Softball question. Well, they didn't accept the invitation. Making light. Well, see, it, this goes just a little bit further, and it goes, they were not worthy of the honor. Of the honor. Ooh. So, like that. Yeah. That hits it a little bit, even just a little bit harder. Yeah. You know? Well, and that's, and that's I mean, that's something to be said, too, that I think that it, it that we're making light of the fact that this was a, 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 a king preparing a banquet for his son. So the first round of invitations would have been sent out to very specific people. It wouldn't have been to just any day, everyday, everyday servants in the fields. It would have been, you know, the highest of the, high. yeah, the lords and the the ladies of the manors and the yeah. and you know the the higher ups in the society would have been, you know. And then I feel like, okay, so they got the refusal there. Then he went a little deeper and said, okay. Let's open this up a little bit more. And then again, he got rejected. So I think there's that progression there that where he's, again, it's that. Now, do you, that, do, you, do you think it would be because it was the king or because it was the son? Why would they, why would they disregard the, the invitation or the invitation? You know what I mean? I mean, that's a good question. I mean, it, I mean, it depends on who he's, I, you know, I think, again, this is dualistic, I believe. Right. I think he's partially pointing back to how the people had refused to listen to the prophets in the past. Yeah, right. But I also think he's pointing the finger directly at the, at the Pharisees in the present, saying, you know, you're receiving an invitation right now. Yep. And but I can see refusing. in your hearts and you're still refusing it. Yeah. I think it all comes back to that self-righteousness. They, they, they feel like they can produce the fruit on their own, like, right. like they make themselves worthy. And I think he's trying to tell them it's... It's your unwillingness to come to me speaking on his behalf. You know what I mean? Right. That's what makes you unworthy because you're unwilling to come to me, the source of your righteousness. Yep. You know, they, they look to themselves as their own source. Like they think they're their, they're, they're their own vine right. to, to bring it back to that same terminology. Right. Again, they've, they've made themselves the vine mm. and it's led them into sin, sin in their heart, you know? Well, yeah. And I mean, yeah, it's the, it's the dualistic of, you know, like you said, that they can basically they can get. You know, if we're if the wedding feast is being directly related to heaven, in the sense that we can make our own way into heaven by our own works, we ignore the invitation. the The one and only way to get there, invitation. You know, and then we try to go about it our way and do our own things, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And if that were true, there'd be no need for a perfect atonement from Jesus. Right. If if it was possible for any of us to make ourselves worthy or produce the fruit in and of ourselves, he would have never come. Right. It, it never would have been necessary. We could have just done that on our own. You know, nobody can do that. 
That's what he's trying to tell him. He's, he's, they have such a barrier in their mind between their their perception of their righteous, their, their, their perception of themselves and the reality of themselves, the way they see themselves and the way they truly are. And they've created this barrier and they refuse to see themselves for who they truly are. And I think Jesus is desperately trying to break that barrier down to get them to see before it's too late. But they're not willing. They don't want to see it. Right. Mm-mm. They're stuck in the old ways. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't they don't see Jesus as a savior. Right. You know, they right. don't see him as the the prophets had said. You know, that there's one coming. Yeah. There's one coming after me. There's there's one coming that's going to save all. Mm-hmm. And um you know, they don't they don't see Jesus as that because they I guess they possibly their perception of the one coming is going to be glorious. It's going to be shining like bright shining and you see this guy that you know has robes on and and he's humble. He's you know speaks very well and has different perceptions and parables of things and they he's kind of talking they don't understand they're you know they're not understanding his his parables and his ways and how he's talking about god and how he's talking about which is himself right you know and he's talking about himself as god and they're like oh what is this guy? What is this deal? What, you know, but I mean, putting ourselves back in that time, that would be a whole different world of like, you're living in one way and knowing that you have to do these certain things and sacrifice and do all this stuff. And then you have this guy coming in and saying, Hey, I'm, I'm this guy. Yeah. I'm the one I'm, pointing I'm, to. I'm that one. And you know, you're, you put yourself in that position. You might not believe Mm -hmm. you might not see that, Mm -hmm. but I mean, would I, I mean, would I see that? Right. You know, I mean, would I, if I was actually back then, would I see Jesus as that person? Man, that's a tough question to reflect on. Like if, if, if you didn't know what you know now, you only knew what they knew. You know, would yeah. I? That's a that's a hard one to to see. It is, and I, I think that's why you see uh, him. Um, go ahead, Chris. I think I might challenge that a little bit, Sonny. Not to say that that's completely wrong, um, but I think in this case, these Pharisees knew that who Jesus was. Yeah. Um, and I only say that because there was a verse that we we skipped over. Um, and it was back in it was. Matthew twenty one forty five, and it said, when the chief priests and Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them and looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid the crowd of people because the, the people held that he was a prophet. So I think like in this situation, they knew, right? right? And then further on even, so after 22, um, we're, 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 I think we're going to end in verse 14. Yes. But in 15, it picks back up when the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. So I like they knew right what who Jesus was in this instance, like the parables that were he were telling were true. Right. And I'm like, that's where I think where it comes in where again, like he's he's pleading with these people. 
look, you're, you're denying me. You're, right. you're actively denying this invitation. Well, this is also after the fact of all like, uh, you know, all the miracles that he, yeah, he did. gave lots of evidence, mm-hmm. you know? And I mean, they're still denying, right. You know, they're still, no, you're not that one. Yeah. You know? And that's the thing. Oh, I'm, Sorry, I'm going to skip down to 14. No, you're all right. Yeah. Uh, for many are called, but few are chosen. You know, uh, so many people are called to to know Jesus, to know God, to know all these things, but few are chosen, chosen to to do these things, to to be able to do podcasts, to be able to do um, you know just simple little things and have planted seeds and planted different little things of people's lives. Few are chosen. And you look at, at our lives and the way our stuff is now. And I know you guys are, are talking about the the Pharisees and going back and forth on, on back then, but I have a hard time going back there mm-hmm. and right. I, I, I'm more of a here kind of, um, yeah. but I don't have very much time left, so um, I'm just going to kind of do this. Um, the The king said, uh, said to his aides, bind his hand and his feet, throw him to the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I've never understood the gnashing of teeth. I don't know why. I, I've never understood that. I don't know if that's like people yelling or like if that's just like you know like i don't i don't know i don't i've never understood that but um i think it's a reference of gritting your teeth in regret Ooh, that's how i've always taken that because now now they knew what they now they really know what they should have known what in their heart they knew when they rejected and i think it's i think it's a reference to that to that that guttural emotional reaction of knowing how what what you lost what you mm-hmm. gave away what mm-hmm. you what you turned your back on wow i've never thought of it that way yeah i mean i agree with that like it's almost like a couple of the stages of grief mm-hmm. where you, you weep and you're remorseful and then then you get angry yeah you snarl at it right you yeah it's despair and I know that you got to leave early, Sonny, but I want to yeah. say before you do, I think you're both right. I think, because I think we tend to, we say Pharisees and we group them all into one category. But there were different, there were different groups of Pharisees. Right. I think there were some that they knew better. That in their hearts they did know and they were actively intentionally rejecting. There were others though that I think qualify with what you were talking about, like Nicodemus in particular. Nicodemus comes to Jesus trying to understand, but he just can't wrap his mind around it. Right. And I think that's what you're describing. Nicodemus had always he'd he'd always known this one way, right? And and Jesus is coming and unpacking these prophets in a way that they hadn't considered before. And he's not changing anything. He's just showing them what the prophets really meant, and he's unpacking it. And Nicodemus is trying to understand that and genuinely seeking to understand. And you see that very patient approach that you, that Jesus has with him to help him through that process. Right. Then you almost, you see a different approach when he comes to ones that are looking for excuses to kill him right. because in their heart, they know who he is and he challenges their power. It's not that they, it's not for Nick, for Pharisees like Nicodemus, he challenged what they had always known and they were trying to understand for, for the bad Pharisees, 
he challenged their power, their grip that they had on the people, and that's what they didn't want to give up. They did their pursuit wasn't for righteousness; their pursuit was for power. And he approaches those different subgroups of Pharisees very differently. So I think it depends on on which group of Pharisees we're talking about. But I think in different circumstances, you're both right. Just applying to different groups of people. I like that the the approaching people differently based exactly. on their situation. And yeah. that's, I, that's hard to, to figure out how to do, uh, you know, but being able to read people, being able to see, you know, just the look in their eyes, the, the way that they carry themselves or anything else and being able to read that is, is a hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. But I got to get, get out of here guys. It, it's been an honor, a pleasure. Right. Um, I, I enjoyed this. I loved it. I, I want to apologize to you, Sonny, and you, the listeners. It was my fault. My scheduling, my scheduling problems. Why Sonny's got to leave early? So yeah, I, I do apologize I, for that. Gotta but, gotta go uh, clock in. So yeah. you passed your tryout. Flying colors. <laughs> awesome. I'll, I'll awesome. send you the form later. You'll get a certificate in the mail. <laughs> All right. Cool. Not really. I, I'll, I I'll I'll post it up on the wall and <laughs> hang it. <laughs> but yeah, I appreciate it, guys. And uh, take you care. Too. Yeah, I look we'll, forward to doing it again. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. All right. So you and I will continue on, Chris. Okay. To the end here. Do you have anything else before I keep going? Uh, no, because we left off an eight, and I think we kind of covered it up to up until then. Okay. And yeah. It was, so it was pretty. It's a it's a pretty tough pill to swallow. It is that uh, those I invited did not deserve to come. Mm-hmm. It's not like he doesn't give lots of chances. And even at that point, I think they could repent. Yep. But they've made it clear that they they don't have it in their heart to. Right. That's the problem. Okay. I think he's, I think often the father will expend every possible avenue to either drive at that tiny little nugget in your heart that is willing to repent or prove that you don't have it. Right. And you fall into one of those two groups. Either you have a nugget that can repent. And if you do, he's going to bring it out. It may take a lot of suffering, but he's going to bring it out. But if you don't have it, then he's going to, he's going to prove to the, to to everybody in the world and the cosmos and Satan and everybody else that there was nothing there, that he expended every avenue to try to reach you. And you were unwilling. There was not a single solitary path that would have ever led you to him because you were never going to be willing. And I think that's what he's showing with these people here. Mm -hmm. They were never willing. Never would be. Verse 9. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good. That's interesting. Both evil and good. Not people that make some mistakes. This is a very strong word for evil here. Right. There's, there's no misunderstanding this. It's, 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 it's evil, wicked, vile. Like this word describes somebody who is just completely evil. And the word good here describes somebody who is inherently good. So he's mixing together ones who are just by nature good and those who are by nature bad. Right. And invites them all. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests, which implies that both of those groups, both evil and good came. Right. These self-righteous Pharisees or just, it doesn't even have to be Pharisees, just the self-righteous group that he sent the invitation out first. First. You know, these, these nobles, <laughs> essentially, to, to, to bring it back to what you would describe, you know, the first right. invitation would go out to the, to the higher level. They all rejected it. 
but these individuals that were evil came. Right. I think it's funny too. My, my translation says, um, and this, this could be co- purely coincidental, but it says you're said, go to the main, main fairways. I think you said highways is what main mine to says. main highways. Mine says, go to the street corners and invite the banquet and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So what do you generally find on street corners and what he'd reference at this, earlier. at this point in time, tax collectors and prostitutes. prostitutes. So, yeah. And I think that connects us. That's, that's an awesome translation. I think that connects back to what we talked about in the parable of the two sons, you know, right. These these people are closer to the kingdom than you because they at least understand their sinfulness. That's what right. he's saying. They right. understand they're sinners. They understand they need redemption. They understand right. they need restoration, which means they're closer to the kingdom than one who does a good outward show of righteousness but doesn't understand they're a sinner. That person's further away from the kingdom because they don't even they don't even acknowledge they need atoned for. Verse eleven. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And okay. he said, okay, okay. I'm going to stop you there. So I think this needs to be the stipulation here. I think there's an implement, an implementation that you, the king would understand that the if he had extended this invitation to all the people, that most common people wouldn't have those clothes. Yes. And the only reason that I bring this up is because it kind of directly reiterates what we went over in our last podcast, that he would, when, when they were invited and would have showed up, he would have provided them with wedding clothes. Yes. With, with whatever they were wearing, they would have, their, his servants would have given them, they would have been offered clothes for the wedding and then okay after you've changed then you, then you come on into the hall yes right so he would have known that this would have been taking place and provided the part party clothes right or yeah the road the, like, the wedding clothes mm-hmm. let so. me let me read i want to discuss that for a second so let me reread that you know, verse 11 and 12 but when the king came in to look over the dinner guests he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes and he said to him friend how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Stop there. He had no response. I connect the wedding clothes directly to what we talked about last week with Zechariah chapter three. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't listened to that, and I, I encourage you to do so, but it clarifies that Zechariah was in the presence of the most high in filthy garments. And it, 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 it point blank defines filthy garments as iniquity and sin against the law. Right. And then he, he takes the, the, the dirty garments off of him and clothes him with robes of righteousness. He puts those on him. Right. The, the, the clean clothes that he, that he puts on Joshua in Zechariah chapter three are the wedding clothes here. Right. That's a direct link and it's important. I think Zechariah three is really important in understanding the imagery here. Go ahead. Yeah. And I think that, like I said, and again, this is my interpretation. So I'm not saying this is what it says, but I think it implies there like you said, that even though there was wicked, there was inherently wicked and inherently good people there, that all but this one not only accepted the invitation, but also accepted the robes. Yes. So they they took off in their ragged, their rags, their sin and iniquity, and put on the king's vestments, and or in this case, the dual purpose of 
put on Jesus. Yes. So I think that's I think that's where you know th- this has a dual meaning and 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 like you said in relation to what we were talking about last week. Oh, I agree. I the imagery is really important here. So to reiterate what you said, we have multiple evil people here. He invites everybody at the street corners, right? right? Both evil and good, they all show up. So we have a whole cloud of both evil and good people. But it says, a man, singular, a man was found that didn't have wedding clothes. That means that of all the evil people there, only one of them didn't have wedding clothes on. Right. Which means the other ones did. And they were allowed to stay. Yeah. So, in, 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 Again, like you said, when they, they would have come in, both the evil and the good, none of them would have come in with wedding clothes on. Yeah. But the evil, if we're, if we're, if we're, if we're using Zechariah 3's imagery right. to understand what we wear as, as our actions, our deeds, right? Mm-hmm. That means that what the sinner, what the evil people were wearing was vile. Right. So when they come to the door, like you said, they would be handed wedding clothes to wear, which means they would have to take them in their hand and agree to put them on. Right. That means this man that didn't have wedding clothes on either put his hands up and said, no, I don't want that and refused to take the wedding clothes or he refused to put them on. Right. At some point there was a rejection and a refusal. So although he responded to the invitation to come to the wedding feast, he rejected the clothing that was expected to be worn in the king's house. Right. And again, if we're connecting that to what we do, producing the fruit, like yeah. we referenced in verse 43, was mm-hmm. it? Producing the fruit, I believe, is it can be connected to what we wear, what we choose to wear. He was rejecting the proper fruit to produce. Right. He wanted to come into the wedding fat feast. He wanted to have the party, but he wanted to keep his evil ways. Right. That's what we or, have presented here. Right. Or going back to the first, the first parable is he told the father, yes, I will go do the work. Yeah but then did not go do the work. Yeah. He just kept his old clothes and kept doing what he was doing. No follow through. No follow through. And no repentance. Again, this is all about right. repentance. Like re- then, repentance is all over these right. parables that we're reading. Right. And I think it's also, it's important to note here that, and when, when, when the King, when God called him on it, he was speechless. And I, and I think that is direct correlation to it's not like he could say, well, I wasn't given an opportunity. I wasn't given multiple opportunities for wedding clothes. Yeah. Like give me the wedding clothes. I put them on. Yeah. Give them, give them to me. He was speechless because he knew, uh Oh, I accepted this invitation, but I didn't, I didn't take on the wedding clothes. Like I was offered them. He knew full good and well, I, I can't, I can't say anything because I was offered them and I didn't take them. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Yep. Like I agree. He was without so, excuse. I think that's important there is because without that people might confer like maybe in the large exodus of people, he just wasn't, maybe he was missed. No, mm-hmm. every guest was offered the clothes and that's why he was speechless. Yeah. He knew he had nothing to say. Yep. He was, it, he it comes back to that word. No he excuse. Was, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. No, it comes back to that word. He was unwilling. He was willing to come to the party. He wasn't willing. He wasn't willing to, to let, let's put this in, it, re- remove the figurative 
Right. He's using figurative parable language. Let's remove that. He wanted all the blessings that the father was offering him. He didn't want any of the expectations. Yeah. That's what he's. T- that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about somebody who acknowledges that he exists, that believes that he exists, that wants all the blessings that are offered, but doesn't want anything to do with the expectations. That's what he's talking about right. here. And, and it's not to say that these other evil people were perfect, but they were at least willing. They were at least willing to, to acknowledge that they had sin in their life that needed to be addressed and wanted his help to correct it. Right. This person, it seems to be painting the image of someone who didn't want to let go of their sin. They wanted right. both. They wanted the best of both worlds. They wanted Jesus in their life, and they wanted they wanted all the blessings, but they wanted to right. keep keep all of their sin too. But then, yeah, and but then turn around and expected not to to blend in. Yeah, to, to be accepted that way. Absolutely. Well, I got in the door, didn't I? Uh, yeah, you accepted the invitation, but you didn't put forth the effort. Yeah. Which is, you know, a stark warning. So, so Jesus is giving a stark warning to both groups. He's given a warning to the Pharisees, but he's also giving a warning to the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the sinners that yes, the Pharisees need to acknowledge their sinfulness, but you also need to go beyond acknowledging your sinfulness and be willing to change. Right. That's what he's telling us here. You have to be willing to change. There has to be willingness on the part of both groups. Yep. And, and uh, you know, willingness on the part of the, of the, of the first group to acknowledge that they need change and a, a, a willingness on the part of the other group to accept the change. Mm-hmm. That's what he's telling us here. Verse 13, then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't want to spend too much time on this first because that, that should probably be a, an entirely different episode to discuss what he's talking about there. The, the, the main thing I'll say is servants here is not the same word as slaves. It, he intentionally uses a different Greek word here, which is why it translates it different. It's, it's diakono, dia, diakonos. And I believe these are angels that can be translated as like a minister or right. a servant. I think, you know, these, this first group, these slaves, these are humans. These are prophets and, and shepherds and pastors and priests. Right. This group, I, I don't believe these are human. Right. That's funny that you say that because I did not catch that, but it did in mine. It's so as you were saying that it, your translation says slaves, mine says servants, but we established that these were like we've in, in previous episodes, we've established a difference between uh, a slave and a house slave or servant where mm-hmm. the master is responsible for the servant. He's still considered a slave, but, he provides food, shelter, clothing. The actual slave is the one where he comes in, does his work and then goes home and he's has to make his own way. Right. Right. So, but then, in but then in mine where you're mine says the King told the attendants tie him down. It doesn't say that King told his servants, the attendants. And in that instance saying that to me sounds that that's, Sounds right on par that it would be the angels because at this point they've accepted the invitation into the wedding. And again, we are likening the wedding to the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. So in the kingdom of heaven, the attendants would be the angels, not the, not the prophets. Yes. The prophets were sent to earth to gather the people. The angels are the attendants or the, the, the people that are, the, I shouldn't say people, the beings that, there in heaven. Right. Right. Okay. Yep. 
That's just interesting. Sorry. No, you're good. <laughs> I was explaining why it was so interesting though. <laughs> and I will say as just a side note, I don't believe that in the, in the prophetic context of this, that the outer darkness here is what most would call hell. Uh, like I say, I don't want to dive into that. I believe that there is a prophetic timeline mm-hmm. and I kind of want to get into that a little bit on a future episode in another chapter of Zechariah, Okay, but just more to come on that. But then verse 14, and that's where we're going to stop. For many are called, but few are chosen. Uh, another way to translate this would be, because called there is kletos, and it's invited. And I, I really think that's a better, mm-hmm. given, given the context of this parable, I think that's right. probably a better translation. So you could say, for many are invited, but few are selected. Is another way you could translate this out. But again, what distinguishes the called and the chosen here? What's the dividing line that separates the two? From those, I should say, from those who are just called to those who are called and chosen. Right. So this is where, when studying this out, there was a lot of disagreement that I found. Mm -hmm. Where that a lot of, a lot of opinion was placed on the stipulation of accepting the invitation makes you worthy. But I think that's an un, that's unfinished. It makes you worthy to then accept the wedding garments. Like you have to, you accept the invitation, but then you also have to lay, you have to lay down that sin and iniquity those old garments and accept the new ones just as this servant or this person didn't do. You have to do the opposite. Elsewise you will be bound and thrown out of the kingdom of heaven. Yes. This is where decisionism in the churches really leads astray because they have to, to, to believe that, that, that all it takes to be chosen is just, just to accept the invitation. You have to ignore verses 11 and 12. Mm Mm-hmm. You have to pretend like those verses don't exist because that individual did accept the invitation. They accepted the invitation with enough follow through to be at the wedding feast before they were kicked out because they refused to put on the wedding garments, which again, we've likened to his righteousness. So I I think the reason too many would prefer to ignore those verses is because there's a prevailing, a too often prevailing idea within the churches that all you have to do is just, just believe, just accept Jesus. That's all you have to do. Right. Nothing else. There's no follow through. There's nothing beyond just believing. That's accepting the invitation. Believing is accepting the invitation and showing up. Right. But routine throughout the text, and this isn't this doesn't end at Calvary. You know, you can look at Acts chapter two, and that takes place after Calvary. Uh-huh. Right. And he's telling the people, repent, Medinueho, repent of your sins and turn from them. Make a choice to be willing to turn from your sins, and then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what he tells them there, and that's what Yeshua, Jesus, is telling us here, right? Yes, accept the invitation, believe in me, but there needs to be follow-through also. He's not saying you'll be perfect or that you won't stumble, right? right? But there has to be some willingness. That's why I keep coming back to that word, unwilling. I think the linchpin word in this entire parable and the parable of the two sons is the willingness, it can't just be lip service. It can't just be accepting an invitation. There has to be a willingness to have follow through and to understand that he, yes, understand that he's the one that produces the proper fruit. But if you're not willing to work with him in that, 
if you put your hands up and say, no, I'm not going to put that on, I'm not going to wear that, then you're at risk of verse 13. Right. We can't ignore that. So yeah, I would, I would, I think what you were saying, I think that's, that's the di- difference. Everyone's invited, right? The right. many are called everyone. Right. Everyone receives the invitation. Every single person on earth, everyone has received the invitation, yep. right? The selected are those with the follow through. Yep. The ones who receive the invitation, who accept the invitation, who, who show up with the invitation, with a willingness to change as the father directs. That's the, that's the dividing line. Absolutely. Let's drop the needle on this or pull. I said, drop the needle on this. We Let's are. Pull we've the dropped the, oh, yeah, we dropped, dropped the needle it. on it an hour and a half ago. Well, we need to pull it. We need to pull the needle on this. Right. Final thoughts. Um, so like I said before, I think, you know, one, one, I, I got two takeaways from this. One is that, like I said, at this point in time, we're living in a, in a, a shame society in the, in the Eastern culture of like, it, it was unheard of of a King to, to save something more than twice. Yeah. So the, the patience that he shows here in the, in our, in the pursuit of us is, 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 is prophetic. I mean, it's, it's out there. He, he pursues us over and over and, but he patiently pursues us over and over and over. Right. But I think it's also worth noting that his patience has a limit, has an end date. The feast is prepared. Can better be said, your place is prepared. But you have to accept that invitation and put on the clothes because if not, there's it's two very prevalent points in here where he shows that patience has an end. Yeah. It's, you know, you have grace, but patience has an end. My takeaway ties in a little bit with a recent round table discussion we had, lay your burden down. Uh, specifically, my final thought there, I read something that Grace had, had written. And I encourage you to listen to that because it was incredible. But the name that came into my mind when I was reading that was the God who takes us back. So many names for the Most High. But I think the one that, it, that, that fills me with the most awe is his willingness to take us back. Again and again and again. He's not a God of second chances. He's a God of third and fourth and fifth and thousandth chances. It's stunning. There's a Hebrew word, aliyah. And it literally just means to go up or to ascend. But it's, it's the specific usage of the word that I find interesting. So you typically find it utilized in two very specific contexts. One context it refers to the Jewish people emigrating back to the nation of Israel. There is, it's said that they do aliyah, they go back, they ascend, they go, they, they go back up, right? right? So it's essentially a picture of returning to the promised land, right? Right. The other usage you see is in the synagogue on Sabbath when you're, it's your turn to do the, the Torah reading, 
or the the scripture reading for the for the day. Sort of like what what Jesus did when it was his turn to do the reading and he read from the Isaiah scroll and it prophesied about himself. Mm-hmm. You would be said to be doing aliyah to go up, right? When it was your turn to go read his word to go up. So it's like a picture of returning to his word. So you have that that picture of repentance and return there. Returning to the promises of the most high and also returning to the word to the expectation, to the path of the Most High. So the pathway that leads you to the promise, right? And it all comes back to his willingness to take us back because we've all veered off that course, right? We've all been on the street corners, metaphorically speaking. We've all been in the highways and the byways. And if we're being honest with ourselves, some of us, many of us have probably been in the shoes of the Pharisees here, unwilling to acknowledge that we have sin in our life that needs to be addressed because that was their underlying issue was they refused to acknowledge the sin in their life. Many of us have been there. I know I have. But at the end of the day, he's still the God who takes us back. No matter how far we fray, no matter how far we fray, <laughs> no matter how far we stray, what I was meant to say there. I'll highlight my own stupidity. How, f- how far we fret? <laughs> yeah. You didn't even say fray, you said fret. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I was going for. No matter how far we stray away from him, he always remains the God who takes us back. If, if, we are willing to accept the invitation to follow through and to put on the wedding garments and allow him to work in our lives so that we can produce the proper fruit. He's always there when we stumble, when we, when we, when we mess up. The God who takes us back, but we have to be willing. To you all out in podcast land, we want to thank you so much for listening. We hope it's been a blessing to you. For any questions, comments, or feedback, you can find us on Facebook or you can email us at brokenrecordministries at gmail.com. Again, this has been a publication of Broken Record Ministries, and we will catch you on the flip side. Shalom. God bless.